0: Uh, my name is Mike Sayers, and uh, I have uh, been the senior pastor, if only because of my advanced age, at SCUM for quite some time. Um, but I want you to know that I am not a man who operates totally on his own. One of the actual safeguards for SCUM of the Earth, for for you folks, is that I am a man under authority. I have been ordained since about 1991 with a group of churches called the Alliance for Renewal Churches, which were headquartered in Mansfield, Ohio, now in St. Paul, Minnesota. But it was the Alliance for Renewal Churches when I was looking for a spiritual covering that said they would take a risk on a group that wanted to call itself Scum of the Earth. And, and trust me, there were others who did not. Because I asked them, <laughs> and they got turned down several times. Well, a few times, not several. But the Alliance for Renewal Churches, whom I affectionately refer to as the Rebel Alliance, said, sure, Mike, we'll, we'll take you under our wing. And so ever since then, uh, whether you know it or not, I get a yearly visit from an overseer. Either Ray Nethery in the early days, lately it's been uh, Ned Barubi. Ned and his wife Sue are here. This week they did the devotions for our staff retreat up at the YMCA of the Rockies. It was excellent. I'm just so glad that when we have a staff retreat, I can actually retreat along with the rest of the staff and not have to worry about coming up with what I'm going to say to encourage the staff, but rather be encouraged myself. And so Ned and Sue were there with us for a few days up in Estes Park, and they've stuck around here so they we be part of what's going on at Scum of the Earth. Ned came to a council meeting on Thursday, and uh, this morning and this evening, Sue, his wife, will be speaking. But before we got to that, I wanted to introduce to you Ned, and uh, just so you could get an idea of, of who it is uh, overseas, uh, Mike Sayers. Ned?
1: Actually, I I like to hang out with big people. And um, when I took over uh, the presidency of the ARC in uh, in 2001, I don't know if any of you have met Ray Nethery. Ray's about six foot five, this imposing figure. And every time I was at a conference, I always knew where Ray was. And now I I thought, well, if I take over, no one's going to know where I am. That's that's really been the issue (laughs) for the last 11 years. I I met Mike. I don't know how many years ago, I think it was uh, 10 or so, I'm a big uh, Mike Sayers fan, uh, and I would say, by connection, a big fan of Scum of the Earth. Uh, we we actually don't just um, uh, connect to Scum of the Earth, we, we love the fact that we're connected to this church, and the kind of reality and goodness that's actually proceeding out of here, uh, we really do love it, and um, so... It, uh, it's been a joy for me, a, a genuinely, a uh, happy place for me to be here this past week. I, um, I love Mike and Mary, but now I, I feel like I, I know the uh, staff, and I'm a big fan of the staff, and uh, really excellent people that are actually leading uh, the charge here. And I am a, I'm a big fan of the council. I sat in a council meeting, and I thought, these people, I mean, I've been to a good number of board meetings, and uh, this was the best board meeting I've ever been to. I mean, I'm serious. Yeah. <laughs> and what, here's what I loved about it: uh, they really took seriously what they were doing. I was I was just kind of almost stunned to see the real sobriety and and heartfelt goodness that was there. So, <laughs> oh no, a wrong word. I'm sorry. It's, uh... <laughs> Everybody was sober in the meeting. That was really great. And uh... <laughs> the. Um... But so we're we're glad to be out here and I I want to introduce my wife. Uh, Sue and I have been married for 41 years. We have six children. We have five grandchildren. And we have, uh, part of what we shared earlier today was we've also lived communally. We've lived in community, household, intentional communities for most of those 41 years. About nine were lived actually in intentional communal situations. So I don't know if that seems like people are interested in that. I'd be glad to talk about it. It's... um. I don't want to do it anymore, but we did it. And, um, but uh, <laughs> Anyhow, uh, Sue, uh, some years ago, about five or six years ago, she felt like God put it on her heart to begin to write a novel, and she began to tie into that. In the process of writing this novel, it's a science fantasy novel, she felt like she needed to get to know uh, physics, and then she got to know quantum physics, which I still have no idea what that is, but... Um, but uh, in the process of that, uh, God really opened her heart to him and uh, to his magnificence in, in all of the scientific realities of life. And, and so Mike asked if she, she, she did this uh, part of this at uh, our last uh, annual conference, and so she's going to do that tonight. So Sue Barubi, come on up here and uh, do that thing.
2: Well I can jump right into my talk because Ned gave my introduction. (laughs) It was this book that I'm writing that provoked me to read so much um, about the cosmos and the quantum world. The macro world out there and the micro world that we can only see through microscopes or only see um, through other experiments that you and I don't understand. There was a time when all we knew about the cosmos was the sun, the moon, and the stars, because we could see them. But we are living in an exciting time um, for people like me, who like science, uh, because in the 20th and 21st century, fascinating discoveries have been made. There are laws in the quantum world that are contrary, totally contrary to the macro world. And um, those differences and new ways of thinking about how this world exists um, are the things that have provoked new thoughts for me about our God. I want to start with uh, Job 26. No, I'm sorry, Romans one twenty. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, like his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. This isn't talking about pantheism. That's a belief that this world is God or God is this world. Um, The revelation of the scriptures is that the creator is outside his creation above and separate from but as we know he also is present in his creation he's so present he actually deigns to dwell within us so he's both above and outside his creation but he's present in it he's eminent and imminent <laughs> so um, how is he present in this world um, more than just in the sun, moon, and stars? How do we see his invisible qualities in the quantum world? Job twenty six fourteen, it's another verse I'd like to read before we plunge into it. Because even with all these new discoveries, um, these are but the outer fringe of his works. How faint the whisper. I love that image. Who can understand the thunder of his power? We barely hear the whisper of the fringes. So, to share about his invisible qualities and how I've found such um, strong support for my faith in his invisible qualities, I want to start by explaining something called the zero-point field. Zero, absolute zero to a scientist means really, really zero. (laughs) Um, Absolute zero is what you have in a vacuum when... All matter has been removed. The problem is there is no such thing as a true vacuum. There is no place in the universe where there is no matter. Even when um, scientists get very close to absolute zero, there are still subatomic particles popping in and out of existence in that vacuum. And so... It's those particles that create, it's the movement of something together that creates heat, and those particles keep them away from absolute zero. But in that kind of vacuum, as close as they can get, zero-point energy is the energy that's present there. So um, now I need to talk briefly about virtual particle exchange Um, Maybe some of you know what that is. We know about virtual. (laughs) There's virtual everything now. Um, Virtual means it's in essence, but not real. It's like, in effect, like something else, but it's not real. So what is a virtual particle? Um, In 1911, the physicist Max Planck, who was one of the founding fathers of quantum theory, discovered that empty space was bursting with activity. We didn't know that before then. We thought empty space was just empty. It looks empty. One of the things uh, Einstein's famous equation um, implied, E equals mc squared, was that elementary particles interact with each other by exchanging energy. Now, how do they do that through virtual quantum particles? they appear out of nowhere they're there for just a moment, they fluctuate, um, release a little bit of energy, and then disappear. We don't know where they come from we don't know where they go to we don't they're virtual because they're not real, <laughs> but what they do is release tiny bit of energy each time. They have the essence or effect of a particle, but they're not real. So it's this emission of energy and reabsorption of virtual particles that occurs everywhere in the whole universe. So it's not a static, stable, empty universe. Um, One book I read called it a seething maelstrom of subatomic particles, fleetingly popping in and out of existence. I had never thought of the universe as a seething maelstrom. (laughs) You know, I look up into the sky, it doesn't seem like a seething maelstrom. These are the things we didn't see before. We didn't understand before. Now we see these things through the um, studies and experiments of quantum physicists. And we are able to catch glimpses of laws that we don't see out here in the macro world. Okay, one more thing to just talk about briefly, and that's the word field, because we're talking about the zero-point field. A field was a new concept in the 19th century, and scientist named Michael Faraday came up with this concept that wherever there's energy, there is a field. It's the space around energy that is influenced by the energy, and the energy is influenced by the field. The example I gave this morning is that um, the earth has a magnetic field around it, and that's why we have a north and a south pole. That's why we see the northern lights, because a magnetic field at the north pole pulls the particles from the solar wind down and sometimes it switches and the north pole becomes the south pole. Nobody knows why, but then the northern lights are the southern lights <laughs> because the field is going in in the southern pole. So it's a it's a great picture, a big picture of how a field affects the area around it and the area around it affects the field. Okay. So Every kind of energy has a field. And the zero-point field is what I call the mother of all fields because it is a field of all the other fields in the universe, a self-regenerating grand ground state of the entire universe. You know, I had never heard of the zero-point field until I started doing this reading. And it seemed to me like a really important fact. You know, why haven't I heard of this? It's not in the news. Physicists have heard about it. We we read about, you know, the Large-Haldron Collider, you know, and the Hubble Telescope and all that. And I'm thinking, isn't this a little more important? Uh, this seems like a grander idea. But I don't know. Maybe some of you have heard about it. I learned about it probably five years ago. Um, And it was a a sobering and sort of rattling idea. Um, I compare it to when I was in grade school. Um, They discovered um, continental drift, they called it back then. And that was a scary idea to me. Because it meant my continent, North America, was moving, and uh, and we were going to crash into Russia. We were moving that direction, and as a child, that was a scary thought. And then, um, then they told us the the galaxies are flying apart, and no one knows what's outside the universe. And you know, <laughs> to a child's mind, that was a freaky thought. Uh, This has to be contained somehow and uh, manageable, you know. Um, But scientists were telling us it's not, and terra firm is not firm, and who knows what's going to happen to our galaxy, you know. So this idea of the zero-point field had the same effect on me. It was news, and it was big news, and I didn't quite know what to do with it. Okay, so... The thing that the zero-point field means is that everything in the universe is actually connected. Everything is within a field, and all those fields are within this field, so that means everything is connected. Um, That doesn't surprise me. I have no problem with that. If one God created it all, it would logically all be connected somehow. Um, Werner Heisenberg has um, come up with what they call the uncertainty principle, and that is that the basic substructure of the universe is a quantum field quantum is a sea of quantum fields that cannot be eliminated by any known laws of physics. And Einstein said, the only fundamental reality was not matter but the underlying entity, the field itself. You know, I thought the fundamental reality was matter. (laughs) So I'm shifting, shifting, shifting as I think about all of this. Okay. So here's why I start with a zero-point field. To me, what I've already said sounds like omnipresence. Omnipresence means... God being present everywhere. It's certainly everywhere in our universe. Um, I'm not saying the zero-point field is God, but there are certainly um, compelling parallels. And what I want to go on to describe to you are other things they've learned about it that sound like um, omnipotence, and omniscience, being all-powerful and all-knowing. The Thing that's interesting is um, when physicists talk about this field, nobody says, well, that's just pie in the sky. You know, it's wishful thinking. Um, They know that this is a fact. This is real. This is science. So this is real. This is true. Okay, so is the ZPF, the zero-point field, the fingerprint of God in our universe? Is this the way we see some of his invisible um, attributes? Let's talk about how it communicates omnipotence, being all-powerful. The great physicist Richard Feynman said, the energy, this is an astounding thing. When I read this, uh, it was another one of those rattling moments. The energy in a single cubic meter of space, we're talking about empty space, not the core of the sun or something, empty space, is enough to boil all the oceans of the world. So, you know, that is probably a seething maelstrom, um, if one cubic meter can do that, how many cubic meters are in our atmosphere? How many cubic meters are in the Milky Way? How many are in the entire universe? You know after a while, you just you can't even conceive of how much power you're talking about. That's a lot of power that's uh enough power uh. To sustain the entire universe. In fact, <clears throat> this sounds like fiction but it's true, um, physicists are trying to figure out how to tap into all that power because if they could, they wouldn't need all these heavy rockets and all this fuel and they could travel space wherever they want with a gas station all along the way. They know it's there. It's real. But they don't know how to tap into it. I don't know what that sounds like to you. (laughs) That sounds to me like an awful lot of power that's beyond man's grasp. Um, Let me give an example of what that looks like in the micro world. Um, The simple thing of an atom. We've all seen the models. The nucleus is the neutrons and the protons. But the little electrons whiz around the nucleus. And um, what is mysterious, what physicists can't understand, is um, why they keep those orbits. Why do they not fly off into space or run out of energy and crash into the nucleus? But they don't. You know, I didn't know I should worry about that. (laughs) The more you know, the more you know to worry about, you know. I'm sorry you're way back there. You're not getting a lot of uh, eye contact from me. Um, Excuse me. So um, if the atoms flew off or crashed into the nucleus, that would cause um, matter to um, collapse, you know. Um, But electrons don't do either of those things. Instead, they keep going forever without slowing down. And the question is how? How do they do that? Um, They're using energy constantly because they're moving. Why don't they run out? So... The conclusion scientists have made is, even though we don't know how to tap into all that energy out there, it seems like electron. I'm sorry, atoms and the electrons specifically know how to do that. They can tap into the bit of um, energy released by every virtual particle. So the stable state of the atom and all matter depends on its existence. Or the zero-point field? Wow. You know, that rings a bell in my head. What is it that holds everything together? Hebrews 1.3 in the New International Version says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. You know, when I read verses like that, I always think, I wonder how he does that. I always ask myself, I always ask God, how do you do that? He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. I don't know, that sounds like Romans 1.20 to me the invisible qualities of God. Can we find God's fingerprints in the universe through these new discoveries? See, for me, I read about this and I think, maybe if that's not how he does it, maybe it's parallel. This helps me grasp How power, his powerful word, can hold this universe together. And suddenly it seems more real to me. It doesn't seem so much like a fairy tale. Hmm. When the world ends, the Bible tells us this world will end. There will be a new heaven and a new earth um, will that be because God pulls the plug on the zero point field i can I can see that you know I can understand that um if that's not how He does it now I can imagine what the absence of this field would be like, and I don't know why it is um. But for me, it helps make the scriptures more real. My husband can read the Bible, and uh, he just knows it's true. It's rock under his feet, and um, it's settled. And I believe the Bible is true, but uh, the way I'm wired, sometimes I need other ways of hearing the truth, other ways of seeing a demonstration of it. And that's what this has done for me. All right, let's talk about omniscience. Excuse me. That's another one of God's invisible qualities. He knows everything. Which is a kind of freaky thought. Um, That when you're alone, God still knows everything you're doing and thinking, Uh, so I end up asking, how? (laughs) How does he do that? I know it's true. I'd like a little more particulars. Okay, waves. Let's talk about waves. Waves are encoders and carriers of information. Waves of all kinds, uh, peak and trough, you've seen diagrams of them peaking and troughing. The the peak is the high point, the trough is the valley. And the size of those determines what kind of wave it is. And if two are opposite, um, troughing and peaking at the same time, they cancel each other out. But if two are in sync, peaking and troughing at the same time, they get stronger. Um, What happens, why they get stronger, is that they imprint or exchange information. I didn't know that. Any information in one wave is transferred to another wave if they're in sync. So what that means is waves that are in sync are constantly accumulating information. They're getting stronger. In fact, when we were worshiping, I was thinking about waves. I think worship is a kind of wave, you know, and we're all in sync. We're all worshiping God. I think that's why he wants us to worship. Okay, no, that's not even in my notes. I'm sorry, I can't go there. Um, here's another bit of information, though, about waves that really rattled me, and that is that waves have infinite, seriously, infinite Capacity for storage. I don't know, This is starting to sound like something to me. <laughs> the zero-point field encompasses all wavelengths and all frequencies throughout the entire universe. So it's a kind of shadow of the universe, a mirror image, a record of everything that ever was. It's an unsettling thought. This sounds like omniscience to me. Okay, I'm not saying waves are God. This is not pantheism I'm talking about. I'm saying that what I have seen, learned, heard about his creation, because he created the micro world as well as the macro world, what I see there shows me his invisible qualities. I'm convinced, and I'm without excuse. I'm no longer able to say, I don't know, I don't get it. You know, he probably doesn't know everything I'm thinking. But, you know, here's, here's, here's what's sort of freaky to me. Um, waves are going through this room right now. They're going through all of us. Uh, they're going through our brains. Oh, you know, that's uh, that's where I think. So if waves can do it, I'm I'm really sure God can do it. Okay. Job 28:24. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Thank you, brother. <laughs> For he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. Proverbs 5:21. For a man's ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all his paths. Hebrew four thirteen. nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So this amazing feedback loop across the whole universe strengthened my faith. I have heard God is omniscient, and somehow learning about a mechanism that scientists know exist, it's not a theory, it's not um an intellectual crutch. They say this is true, this is a scientific fact. So God is, is getting bigger for me. He he's magnified as I read about these truths. And the result it has in me is I worship. He's bigger than he used to be in my mind. And I realize how much I don't know about him. All right, gotta move along. I wanna talk about substitutionary atonement, those are big words. Um, God in Christ Jesus made a way for us to be connected with him again. All about Jesus, his incarnation, his death and resurrection. So here's what in the quantum world talked to me about it. Something called entanglement. It's a term used in quantum theory to describe the way that particles can become correlated, the word they use, so that they predictably interact regardless of how far apart they are. Einstein called it spooky action at a distance. Have you ever heard that quote? He's talking about entanglement. This is something that is just totally counterintuitive to us because in this macro world that we live in, we understand cause and effect, um, but there's a local cause that creates a local effect. There's energy of some kind that happens between them. Now, The the example I like to use is um, a row of dominoes standing on end. We understand that if I... Push over the first domino, and the last one is in the corner back there. We understand why that last domino fell, because we understand each of those intermediate local events. Okay, entanglement says there are only two dominoes, one here and one in the corner. And when I push this one over, the other one falls over too. You know, that just doesn't make sense, does it? And yet, physicists know this is true. This is true. Um, Since the 1960s, many experiments have been done um, to show that quantum particles can influence other quantum particles instantaneously. I mean, I'm talking... When I say instantaneously, it's faster than the speed of light, (laughs) instantaneously. And it's over any distance, despite the fact that there are no local events in between and no exchange of energy. So here's the thing that really grabbed my attention. Once quantum particles are in contact, they form a bond. They retain a connection, even when separated, and that means that the actions of one always influence the other, even if they are infinitely distant from one another. Infinitely. That is the right word, infinitely. Physicists call it non-locality, because there's no word for it. This doesn't happen in our macro world. And this non local nature of the quantum world has been conclusively confirmed. Nobody understands it, but it's there. All right. Uh, Let me just digress a minute. Um, There was a point in my life when I had a real dark night of the soul. Uh, Ned was a pastor, so I'm a pastor's wife. We've been Christians for numbers of years already. And... um, Because my sister had Rh-negative blood, her first child was okay, but then her body had these antibodies in the bloodstream, and every subsequent pregnancy, um, it attacked her child, and so she kept miscarrying. And uh, right before this dark night of the soul, um, uh, they tried intrauterine blood transfusion. And so that was our hope. Thank you so much. I will just hold it, (laughs) Um, because I am getting dry. (laughs) Okay, um, that was our last-ditch effort, and it was complicated and modern and, you know, high-tech, and the baby died. And I don't know, something just shut down in me. And I thought, you know, he doesn't really answer prayers. This was an important prayer, and all the sub the earlier uh, disappointments kind of compounded into um, a real struggle. And I remember saying to Ned, "Okay, tell me again now. What is the big deal about Jesus?" You can imagine what a pastor would feel when his wife is asking him that because of it seemed like it didn't make any difference. What is the big deal about Jesus? That is honestly what I felt. OK Entanglement and non-locality are an answer to that question for me. <laughs> You're so nice, thank you. <laughs> These are good people here. I like you guys. at scum. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, let's read this next quote. It's from a book, The Field, by Lynn McTaggart. <clears throat> Ned, could you find a cough drop in my purse for me, please? <clears throat> Non-locality shattered the foundations of classical physics. Matter could no longer be considered separate. Actions did not have to have an observable cause over an observable space. At a certain level of matter, things could travel faster than the speed of light. Subatomic particles had no meaning in isolation, but could only be understood in their relationships. The world at its most basic, existed as a complex web of interdependent relationships forever, indivisible. Okay. That, thank you. I appreciate it. I began to think about entanglement and how Jesus... No other religion has this. Jesus came in human flesh and bonded with man. That this has never been done before, you know? And now we're finding out there are laws for that in the subatomic world. His coming in the Incarnation was a big deal. Because that is how God bonded with us. He identified with us to the point of becoming a man, living a life here, serving us, teaching us, and then dying in our place, rising again. (coughs) (coughs) Excuse me. Let's just, let me go on to these verses. John 1, 14. <clears throat> the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Suddenly, that verse means more to me. Colossians two ten and 11, in Christ, you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Ephesians 2.6, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3.1-4, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The thing that we're able to do by faith is provide the other half of the bond, the other half of the relationship that becomes infinite and eternal. Then we're entangled with him. And even though it seems hard to believe that something so long ago and so far away changes everything about my life. Um, We're separated by time and space. But what happened to him happens to us. I don't know about you guys. (laughs) Suddenly, substitutionary atonement made total sense. I wasn't just hoping it. I wasn't just trying to believe that it was true. Because lots of times it doesn't feel like it's true. Like my black night of the soul... But in this light, I understand why Jesus is a big deal. He is why I am connected now with God in every way, every moment, through this life and into eternity. That was substantial rock under my feet. Maybe you guys don't have doubts about those kinds of things. And maybe you're not wired like me, you know. Maybe you're like my husband. You read the scriptures and it just makes sense and you can believe it. For me, it's almost like science, oh, I don't want to overstate this. Science is like a second textbook for me. And I go there and I find his invisible qualities. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have no idea. I'm just going for it, huh, Mike? Baptism. I wanted to talk about baptism. Um, What I've learned about water has been very intriguing. Water, I didn't know this, water is among the most mysterious of substances. Did you know that? (sighs) Another thing, you know, Really? You know, we turn the tap, it comes out, we wash our hands, we drink some, and that is mysterious. It doesn't, I didn't know it was mysterious. And in Minnesota, you know, we have so many lakes, it's everywhere. So you take it for granted. But the reason it's mysterious is because it's a compound formed from two gases, but at normal temperatures and pressures, it's a liquid. That's mysterious to physicists. They understand gases because gases are individual molecules that move around individually in a big space. They understand that. But they don't understand why molecules of water don't just evaporate into the air as gas. Okay? So there's this mysterious thing called homeopathy. Maybe you've heard of a homeopath, um, wholeness medication, and all that kind of thing. Homeopathy um, was discovered, um, and I forget when this was. Um, I should look that up because now I'm wondering myself. But they learned that you could take a medicine, dilute it so much that not a single molecule of the with water diluted so much with water that not a single molecule of the medicine is left. And you could give it to a patient and they get well, just as if they were taking the medicine. There's nothing left except water. Somehow, the water had a memory of the medicine. So, you know, that, upturns classical physics again. Um, Even more unexpectedly is you dilute it, dilute it, dilute it. It gets weaker and weaker. And at the ninth dilution, when you're doing it in the right proportions, suddenly it starts getting more potent, which does not make sense. The weaker the solution was, the more powerful its effect. So what is that? You know? (laughs) It's another one of those unsettling discoveries that don't make sense. It changed what we thought about reality. It forced us to look at the world in a different way. Physicists have known for a long time that molecules vibrate and emit a specific frequency, and they were aware of these frequencies throughout the cosmos, thanks to telescopes. But no one knew their purpose. Why do these different things have different frequencies? Two Italian physicists um, demonstrated that water molecules, here's the last thing I need to talk about scientifically, water molecules create coherence. Water is composed of photons of many wavelengths that somehow become informed in the presence of other molecules. They polarize around any charged molecule, store its frequency, and then carry it. It's like a tape recorder. It imprints and carries information whether the original molecule is still there or not. Okay, so what does that have to do with baptism? How do I get baptism out of all of this? I started thinking about water baptism from a different angle after I read all of this. And this is the verse I got caught in. Genesis 1, 1 through 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. I just had to... Think about that a long time. Why? Why was he hovering over the waters? And uh, what was he doing? You know, he wasn't, this is the creation of the world. You know, he wasn't just hanging out, doing nothing. He was suspended over the waters. So, my question is what was he doing? What was that holy presence? doing what was the purpose of hovering fluttering it was something active i'm sure god was creating so these are the questions i end up asking was something of the nature of the creator god imprinted on the molecules of the water did the hovering communicate a frequency of some kind a vibration Do hydrogen and oxygen hold together instead of evaporating as a gas so that we could be washed in that mysterious liquid? Was the water infused somehow with divine life it didn't have before? Something was happening. Is that why this planet can sustain life? Does the water remember something that we can't even find there anymore? Is something basic and foundational and primal restored to us in baptism that we don't even recognize or understand? The answer to all those questions is, I don't know. I don't know. None of them are unscriptural, I don't think. (laughs) But we can't know. What happens, though, when I think about his creation, um, my head swims. I I have thoughts that are too big for me. I can't grasp it. The vastness of the cosmos and this kind of complexity in the quantum world um, reminds me constantly how great our God is and how little we really know. I just, I wouldn't want to have a question and answer time after this because I have no answers. But it makes me think about how high his thoughts are above our thoughts, as high as the heaven is above the earth. And, you know, I assume when I die that all my neat little systems of thought will seem very primitive, even to me, when I stand before him. Um, all the things that now I think I know, I'm pretty sure I'll find out there are just layers upon layers of other meanings I have no idea about right now. And, and I'm sure I'll be wrong about a lot of things. This scientific reading that I've done makes me okay with not knowing everything. Um, if the physicists don't understand it all, How can we understand it all? The image I think of, the way this reading has helped me, is like the the old maps that sailors and explorers used long ago. They were looking for the new world. Um, The maps were not complete. The maps were not 100% accurate. And yet uh, they helped them find a brand new world. And I feel it's kind of like what this does for me. I doubt that everything I've said will will still be accurate, uh, you know, 20 years from now. They'll probably prove some of these things wrong. I don't care. <laughs> they will have a more accurate map. And I will be reading that, watching it. I'll be following. It's not complete, it's not accurate, but it has led me forward in my quest to know this majestic God that we worship. Um, Job twenty-six, fourteen. let me go back to that. These are but the outer fringe of his works. How faint the whisper we hear of him. Who then can understand the thunder of his power? For sure not me, but I love every way that science is pointing me toward him. Could I just say a short prayer? Lord God. You clothe yourself with light as a garment. What does that mean? You dwell in impenetrable light. You're a consuming fire. For sure it means, Lord, that we don't comprehend you. You comprehend us. You apprehend us. And we thank you for extending yourself to us for sending Christ to bond and bring us into connection with you again. We're so grateful. Help us, Lord, never to diminish who you are. And help us, Lord, to grow in our understanding of you. Help us to increase in our awe so that we worship you as you truly deserve.